Welcome, listeners of Illusion to Temporal Discussion, the episode-by-episode nightmare retrospective podcast. I'm Martin Harder, and I'm an ancient mariner. And with me today, our special guest host is Peter Pulsford. Peter, as you may know, is one of the voice actors for the Lego Nightmare series on YouTube, and he is also one of our patrons at the Keeper of the Book of Quests level. We'll put a link to the Lego Nightmare series in the description. Uh, Peter is also a Keeper of the Book of Quests over on our Patreon. Today we're looking at Series 3, Episode 13. It was broadcast on Friday the 1st of December 1989. New Kids on the Block was still number one with You've Got It, The Right Stuff. And topping the UK box office, the Ivan Reitman directed sequel Ghostbusters 2. At the stroke of midnight, on New Year's Eve of the last decade of the 20th century, America's largest city is about to pay for the nastiness of its inhabitants. When that day comes, when the slime starts to rise, the Titanic just arrived. When ghosts start arriving by the boatload, we gotta find the guys. There's only one thing to do. Sometimes weird things happen. Someone has to deal with it. And who are you going to call? Right, suck in the guts, guys. We're the Ghostbusters. The superstars of the supernatural are back to nuke the spooks. Fast and slow. Make some time. Don't put any of those old cheap moves on me. No, 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 no. It's different. I have all new cheap moves. Raise your spirits. If we don't do something by midnight, you will be remembered in history as the man who let New York get sucked down into the 10th level of hell. And kick some slime. It looks like a giant jello mold. I hate jello. Oh, come on. There's always room for jello. Happy New Year! Pose them. Ghostbusters 2. You're short, your belly button sticks out too far, and you're a terrible burden on your poor mother. Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis, and Ernie Hudson in an Ivan Reitman film. Ghostbusters 2. You're the best, we're the beautiful, we're the only Ghostbusters. We're back! Who you gonna call? Ghostbusters! Who you gonna call? Ghostbusters! I have opinions about Ghostbusters 2. I'm interested to see if they match up with yours. I don't think I saw it at the time, probably too young. I I just had a scare a few years ago with um, Little Shop of Horrors, which gave me nightmares. And I was sort of more carefully guarded about what films I, I could watch. But I think it's one of those films that for me, it's, just, it's long enough ago that I just remember the awesome bits. Mm. And if there were plot problems or anything, then I, I wouldn't register them. Although I, I have seen all, all four Ghostbusters films now. So mm. it, it remains a good memory for me. I, I have a love-hate relationship with Ghostbusters too. It was the first Ghostbusters film that I saw. So it's always going to have that kind of feeling of nostalgia for me. But looking back at it, it's literally just the first film, but with no smoking. So literally exactly the same plot, beat for beat. Yeah, that does sound about right, actually. 
I think at that age, we just remember the awesome bits. I remember the cartoon and there was a comic as well. Oh, the cartoon and the comic were fantastic. Yeah, there were two comics, or two, um, two cartoons, I think. I'm not sure which one I was watching, um, but they were a lot of fun. Yeah, because there was a bit of a mess with the rights, wasn't there? Because um, Filmation originally uh, released a, um, a live-action series called The Ghostbusters, and then Dan Aykroyd had to get the rights off of them to call his film Ghostbusters. And then Filmation released a cartoon called Ghostbusters, which was a cartoon of the original live-action series the catch in on the movie so the actual cartoon of the movie had to be called the real ghostbusters and let's face it the real ghostbusters was much better maybe that's what i watched was that written by um uh, the guy from babylon 5 joe straczynski something i'm like not that. sure about that but the real ghostbusters was the one that was based on the film so it had characters from the film and uh, and everything hmm. ghostbusters the car the filmation cartoon was completely different and had like a one of them was a gorilla i think and there was a robotic ghost called primeval which to be fair is one of the best names ever yeah well that would be crushingly disappointing for a, mm. a child having seen the film wouldn't it to watch that and then it's not even the same people from the film and then of course there was a uh, extreme ghostbusters after that and then it got really complicated oh i hadn't heard of them Someone, someone must have done a timeline uh, and try and sort of tie them all together in the, the, the multiverse. It's actually worth checking out. It didn't last very long, but uh, it had some pretty cool ideas. In the news today, members of the armed forces of the Philippines belonging to the Reform the Armed Forces movement began a coup d'etat against the government of the Philippine President Corazon Aquino. When light creeped in this morning, some of the rebel soldiers who tried to enter the government's stronghold camp Aguinaldo were seen being carried by medics because of injuries. The landing vehicle truck of the rebel soldiers was immediately destroyed by a single shot from a government 105 howitzer. When the rebels lost their main source of firepower, the rebel troops, mostly coming from the Philippine Marines, were paralyzed near Gate 1 of Aguinaldo, specifically at the St. Ignatius Chapel and at the dispensary. The coup was defeated by the government a little over a week later, but led to two other coup attempts the following year, including the Hotel Delfino siege. This date in 1989 also saw the first annual Day Without Art, during which art institutions organised programmes to raise awareness of HIV and AIDS. The date was specifically chosen to coincide with World AIDS Day, which began the year before. And now time turns, the recording light burns, time out is gone, the podcast is on. Time turns, the fire burns, and now you phase with us once more. Welcome. The turn of the year draws nigh, and still no heroes appear. For the dungeon remains undefeated in this, its latest manifestation. Can no one conquer it? I wonder. And I wonder if these, our latest challengers, have the grit to go through to the end. Let's remind ourselves. The Lister Maiden's luck is in, and friendly faces smile on them. Well, not all friendly, I admit. But then they didn't have the wit to deal themselves a winning hand. Still, luck holds true, they're doing grand. And when a young friend gave a clue, it helped them into level two. Here, a wizard sat in glee and put them through the third degree. They passed, of course. And now they're pressed and poised before another test. So we start off with the dungeon ditty as usual. It, it it doesn't start off great. 
within and them. But after that, we've got admit, wit, hand, grand, clue, to, glee, degree, and pressed, and test. The rest of them are quite serviceable, but not particularly imaginative. I don't remember them being bad, but then I, I've heard them on the podcast. And then, yeah, now you point out there's a lot of approximate rhymes. Mm. Uh, that seems pretty good. What's that? Five out of six? Not bad at all. We rejoined Julie and her team, Amanda, Marie and Angela from Knight and Leicester in Merlin's throne room. Taking heed of the advice offered to them, they invoke the first step. Can you try hopping on the spot, do they? See yeah, hop on work. the spot. Ah. Oh, yeah. Right, now no, we no. can take a step forward. The next step is a handshake, which Judy performs dutifully, followed by a stretch. With the path now fully formed, Merlin appears. Take a pinch of salt and ambergris and wait till moonlight gives it zest. Then uh, turn thrice round and... Oh, not now. Can't you see? I've almost got it. I was watching this with my son and we, we had a few observations. And then we tried to invoke all three steps at, at the beginning. Would that be safer? Could you do it from a distance? I don't know. I will have to look into that because I, I have a vague memory of that actually happening at some point. But I might just be confusing it with Scott's team who obviously invoked step two first. Yes, I, I, I did just watch that. Yeah. Scott was lovely, by the way. He's like really kind of like into talking about the show. Yeah, I, I heard the first um, I caught up with those you, you put out. Hmm. Yeah, seemed like a nice guy. Yeah, that, that was uh, that was unfortunate. Whoever was watching that, I, I guess Tim Child must have thought, oh, he, he's made it. Oh, he hasn't made it. Shall I, shall I push him over? I better have because they've seen it now. Trade guard. Uh, can't we run on some sort of sensible schedule, like uh, one adventure every 50 years? Uh, hardly practical, Merlin, when you consider how much you forget in uh, 50 minutes. No, I'm afraid business is pressing. Oh, very well. Merlin reluctantly asks his customary two questions. A domestic pet came from the region of Atelier in Arabia thousands of years ago. What is it? The answer is cat, and they get this uh, question right. Yeah, I think, I think I would have guessed that. Yeah. If you didn't know the answer, it would be kind of easy to guess, which is fair enough. The next question is a bit more difficult, though, isn't it? It isn't a monkey, it isn't a dog, it isn't a bird, and it can't be a hog. If it isn't a cat, and it isn't an ox, then what sort of animal is a flying fox? Now, I have to be honest, I thought it was a squirrel. Yeah, I, I would have said squirrel. Even... Yesterday, watching this, having obviously seen this two or three times before, I still thought squirrel. Or did I just remember from saying squirrel? And I'm a science teacher. Um, so, yeah, no, no excuse. That was a hard question. Uh, I think my second guess probably would have been back, um, to be fair. But, yeah, yeah that's, that's harsh. Hello, listeners of Illusion. Since we recorded this podcast, Peter has got back in touch with us and told us he asked two of his science teacher colleagues what kind of animal a flying fox is. The biology teacher didn't know, but said he would have hedged his bet with mammal. The chemistry teacher did know, but he taught Middle Asia and had seen them in the wild, although he says they're usually called fruit bats. See, I've actually written here that on the script that the answer was fox, but that's obviously wrong. It is a bat. 
It's quite an interesting bat, actually. It does actually resemble a fox. I did look it up, and it's it's a huge bat, isn't it? Absolutely massive. It's also known as a uh, terapus. It's a fruit bat, basically. They live in South Asia, Southeast Asia, Australia, and East Africa, and some oceanic islands in the Indian and Pacific Oceans. According to Wikipedia, there are at least 60 extant species in the genus. Merlin meant that their failure to answer both riddles correctly will mean that the team must face the challenge ahead without his help, but it reassures them others have done so and survived. I cannot think of a single instance where others have actually survived without his help. Yeah, may maybe we'll come back to that, but um, I noted that as well, yeah. You can still make it, good luck. <laughs> Does he think they can make it? Like, how could they have made it from that point? How? <laughs> can, we, can we come back next time we meet Merlin? Can we just ask, yeah, sorry, you said the last team could make it. Could you just tell us yes. how? Just for our interest, thanks. Well, you know, if they get attacked by anything, just ask it if it wants a present. Where am I? Um, you're in a room, and in the middle, there's a bird. I think it's a raven. I think we better get out quickly, because it looks like it could attack. Do you want to walk forward, you Who's a cheeky boy, then? Pardon? Oh, With no steps to give out today, the raven tells Julie to say goodnight, Jack. When she does, the raven tells her that this is a password. Treyguard says that he doesn't think they'll learn anything else from the bird, and the team guide Julie out. Where am I now? Um, you're in a cave and there seems to be what looks like a giant toad or a frog at the end of the cave. The team has some trouble making out where the exit is, which seems to be a bit of a pattern in this chamber. They eventually manage to figure out where it is, and as they guide Julie towards it, a skull haunting appears and begins to chase her. So I think they actually added the toad into this chamber because people were having so much trouble trying to work out where the actual exit was. Okay, so you knew you didn't have to go straight forward. Yeah. Because yeah, the toe doesn't do a lot here, but it's still cool. It looks cool, yeah. The skull sort of moves suddenly fairly quickly towards them, and they kept their cool. Hmm. Um, and then it sort of gets near them and then kind of stops again. And they were still, at one point, moving towards it as it was moving towards them. And then they, they sidestep to the left. A younger team might have panicked here, I thought. Yeah, I think you're right. And we have seen it in the past. And uh, we, we're going to see it later on in this episode as well. There's quite a, a hilarious moment with a bit of team panic when Tim Child's mouse cursor makes another appearance. It was a good episode to, to get this one. Quite a lot happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's quite a fun one. Where am I? You're in a room and there's two guards. They look like they've just tied up a lady and stolen some of her clothes yes. or something. With their short sight, the goblins must have mistaken Julie for an armoured warrior. Hurry, for they're bound to realise their mistake. Help me! In the second section of the cave, two goblins have bound Velda's wrists and ankles and they've left her on the altar. When Julie appears, the goblins flee. The team guide Julie to the altar and instruct her to untie Velda. Quickly, because oh. they'll be oh. back soon. Oh, they're revolting creatures! Hurry! <laughs> Oh, that's better. Now who do I have to thank for my rescue? Julie. Julie? Then thank you, Julie. You will find that we of the elven kin will neither be ungracious nor ungrateful. Now, I would give you aid of a more practical nature, but sadly, 
My road lies in that direction, while there is the path you must follow. Wait, though. There is something that might redress the balance. Belda hands Julia a huge emerald and tells her that it is highly valuable elven stone. She then bids Julie good luck and leaves. The team guide Julie onwards. The goblins return to stalk Julie through the third section of the caverns, but she quickly leaves. I've got some troop movement notes here. Okay. That's all right. Um, so, yeah, my, my son was watching this uh, as well. He noticed um, troop movements. Wanted to get into this into a little bit of detail. I guess that's sort of what the, the podcast is for. So mm. um, the, the three sections, the, it's one of the few sets of rooms I think you've commented before that we we know are all together because you can you can sometimes see them from each other. So Julie comes in from the toad skull exit um, or yeah. entrance um, to the right as we see it from the middle one. The goblins run away through the middle. Then Velda goes off to the right. And we're told that the goblins, uh, they'll be back soon. But then we go to the, the third chamber and we see them from the side view. And then we see goblins coming from the way that Velda left. When Velda leaves, it looks to me like she sort of slips to the side, which I guess is just because the wall is there. But uh, it's quite realistic, I thought, because it's like she's trying to slip past the skull and the toad. Mm. But then they, the goblins before the horn is blown, return from where she went. So the two goblins that came in, I think are not meant, are not the two original goblins because they came back from a different direction. And if they came yeah. from that direction, they got past the toad, the skull and Velda, or perhaps she slipped past <laughs> them. And so they got there somehow without hearing the horn and they, they sort of stand there. And then the horn goes, presumably blown by the two original goblins. And mm. then they start moving. Um, I guess they got there because there's some kind of call. Um, and they start moving towards the adventurer because, you know, bad sight, but also the horn sort of told them which way to go, I guess. Mm. So I guess we know there's at least four goblins there, the original two that went away because their sight was so bad they thought he was a, an armoured warrior. <laughs> Came back at some at some point, or perhaps they were doing some kind of flanking movement for the next chamber. So it was actually a very well-planned military movement then? Yes. But the first two didn't seem particularly well-armed. So mm. perhaps they, 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 were, they could overpower an elf maid. Uh, maybe they lost their weapons along the way, but they knew what they were doing. They said the, perhaps the whole thing was, um, was their plan from the beginning. And that leaves Julie open for the ambush that's about to happen. Walk forward. Danger, the goblins return. Quickly, quickly walk, walk forward. forward. Quickly walk forward. Okay. Keep walking. Quicker. Where am I? You're in a long corridor um, with... There's um, somebody in the middle of the path further down. Oh, yes, it's the great card of the catacombs. Oh, what's that adventure to do? Again, keep going. Walk forward. Um, there's a goblin surrounding you, Julie. Um, say hello to the goblins and ask them if they'd like a present. Oh, that is nasty. I shouldn't look anymore. 
shame you didn't have that rather useful little anti-goblin spell that Merlin hands out on these occasions. And then thus the quest comes to a rather abrupt end. I think this was a bit anticlimactic for the team. They deserved a bit better than this, I think. After such an awesome death from Scott's team, it's quite sad to see that this is just a captured by goblins thing. Isn't captured by goblins quite cool? I mean, we, we never saw what they did. The goblin sort of moves in quickly and then Trigger said, oh, it's better you didn't see what happened there. Or the goblins sort of approach gradually, but it's quite cool, I thought. And she tried to get through an exit and the goblin comes right at her. Wasn't expecting that. It's sort of sad for them that that's how it ended and they really had no chance after Merlin, after the, the difficult puzzle. I thought it was quite a cool way to end. I mean, the goblins don't get many kills overall, I don't think. That's true. I mean, they get a few more in later series, but that's when Scar Kill's involved as well. They don't really get many kills on their own. In fact, I think this is the first one. Well, maybe they, they realised they had to get a bit more organised with their, with their manoeuvring. Four of them moving together, laying some kind of trap. That's quite impressive. I love the, uh, the reaction, though, to their death is laughing and asking them if they'd like a present. Yeah, yeah. I mean, worth worth a try. I mean, you, I guess you sort of look around for things you could have done, apart from thinking, oh, we could have had the, um, you know, we could have got the puzzle right. But apart from that, I guess you're just sort of thinking, what could we have done? The, the, the clue must be there somewhere. You know, it must be something we've, we've been given that works. Mm. So I imagine they would have offered them the Elven Stone. I just think it's hilarious that the Dungeoneer's last words as the life force clock was coming onto the screen was, would you like a present? <laughs> Imagine that on your tombstone. And, and she does kind of say, um, yeah, this is valued by all the, the denizens of the dungeon or something. So it, it sort of seems like you might have to give it to, to goblins. Yeah. I see why they think that. Still, you've done awfully well, and now I've got a spell for you. But you're not going to like it. Spellcasting. D-I-S-M-I-S-S. Goodbye, Julie, Amanda, Marie, and Angela. You kept us all guessing, but in the end, it was the lack of just one answer that let you down. Farewell. Take me down to the path by the cliffs, give a dike and my scroll and my team got dismissed. Oh, won't you please take me home? If the dungeon's to be defeated, we desperately need a more powerful challenge. Perhaps. This may be it. Enter, stranger. Ah, who challenges next? Martin too. Your challenge accepted, Martin. Now let's see the metal of your advisors. Call them to us. Darren, Lee, Jamie. The next team to challenge the dungeon consists of Dungeoneer Martin Toole and advisors Darren Cataniel. Lee McMurray and Jamie Cullen. They all hail from York. Tregor gives Martin a knapsack and helmet and then sends him on his way. Not even a last chance to chicken out this time. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that that's it. Just chuck him in. I mean, yeah. Tregor's uh, nil for nine, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. Try and get him straight in there. The rules run down from previous series is now completely non-existent, which is good. He like literally just turns around and boots them through the door. Now I had to ask you this, is this the first Martin? Are there other Martins? There's been one other Martin and it got very confusing when we were recording that podcast. <laughs> so how have the Martins done so far? Nil for one? Yeah, pretty much. Oh dear. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have, I have a good, good feeling about this Martin. I think you make it all the way. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers. He doesn't. <laughs> Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> well, if you're not, it's too late now for the dungeon's ready for you. 
Now, away you go. Where am I? You're in a long green room. Welcome to the dungeon. This is season three. Everything is still the same. Our talking is mundane. We try to make it seem random. Our dice is on the exact same number. We'd better play the game. We'd better play and never talk about it. So welcome to the dungeon. I hate this chamber. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I gather that, yeah. 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 I don't hate it to the same extent that uh, Mr. O'Doni does, but I definitely dislike it. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's pretty impressive. If you're going to have it every every um, episode um, as well, it gets a little bit old. Mm. Um, I, I think I don't remember it from watching it as a kid, so I think I must have started watching from the next series. Either that or it just got so boring you blocked it out. Maybe that was it. The time, time works differently. Um, in the dungeon there's a chalice above the center door and that's the door the team chose martin has emerged apparently through a solid wall in the water room rather than appearing on the ledge this time he is waist deep in the pool Tregard warns the team this is probably not a safe place to bathe Tregard warns the team this is probably not a safe place to bathe and as he speaks some rather familiar sounding music begins to play and the dorsal fin emerges from the water i don't think this is a very safe place to bathe team get him out quickly Right, Martin. Yes. Quickly run. Right. The direction you're going to turn right. Turn right. Turn right. Go. I mean, this is practically copyright infringement, isn't it? It. I, yeah, I thought it, it, it started off pretty similar uh, to the film. Mm. Uh, I thought, yeah, how, how can they use that? To the extent, I'm not sure how much of the clip I can actually play on the podcast. Okay, so I've had another listen, and I don't think it's actually that similar, so we should be okay. Uh, I thought it sounded more Jawsy from the beginning, to be honest, and it sort of deviated. Also, how does he not know he's standing in water? Has that ever happened before? There's an effect that the dungeoneer would definitely feel. He has to be told. I mean, it's, it's a lovely effect, but, but yeah, surely he would know. I'm guessing they must have put one of the blue blocks in front of him. But they've gone to the extent of adding the sloshing sound effects as he walks, which helps to sell the effect, really. And it's a good effect. Sort of reflects off the um, off the walls a bit as well, doesn't it? Yeah. It's lovely, but yeah, he, he, he would know. He would know. If he'd said, no, it's all right, I'm, I'm perfectly dry. <laughs> there can't be a, a shark can't get me here. I'm perfectly dry. <laughs> Don't worry about it. The team panic leading to some of the most hilariously confusing directions in the show's history. And this is brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> with a shark nipping at their heels, they have to sort of climb up onto the side, don't they? Understandably panicking uh, with a shark right there. Once Martin is out of danger, the team guide him to the door. Oh. Where am I? We, we think you're in a kitchen in the centre of the kitchen there's a table with a with a small stool to your right the stoves and pans 
there's three exits, two in the far wall and one to your left. Martin picks up a pie from the table, but before he can knapsack it... Here! What's your game then? You can't go pinching things just because they take your fancy. And you especially can't go pinching that. Motley explains that the pie Martin was about to eat actually belongs to Mr Grimwald, the ogre, so he was actually doing him a favour by stopping him from eating it. Motley laments that he has no food to give the Dungeoneer, but does have some kitchen magic to offer in exchange for a favour. He explains that being bound to the dungeon means that he's running out of fresh jokes, and that Martin's status as an outsider means that he is in the perfect position to help. If Martin can provide Motley with fresh material, the jester will compensate him. Right. Got a good joke here, right? So I'll tell him it. Sure. Why, why did the punk cross the road? I don't know. Why did the punk cross the road? Because he was stapled to the chicken. <laughs> not bad. Not good, you understand, but not bad. I actually thought it was quite a good joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know I'm going to get abused for that. Given that there was no notice, you know, just to come up with the joke, and the, and the, the dungeoneer stepped in and said, I've got a joke, uh, and then does it. And I thought it was all right. Yeah. Good. Staple to the chicken. It's a bit meta um, for that age. Yeah, I'm not sure that Motley really knows what a punk is. I, th I think he just didn't hear it. So something was stapled to the chicken. That's why it was, uh, it was crossing. Hmm. Uh, I had to play it a few times to, to hear that word. The punk, <laughs> I, I suppose, is, is covered in, in bits of pointy metal. So he would have been stuck to a chicken, uh, Yeah, I guess. And yeah. He probably knows what a punk is by now. People have mentioned it. I do like um, Martin's confidence with the joke. Right. I've got a good joke here, so I'm telling it. Yeah. <laughs> He's quite chappy, isn't he? Despite Martin's outright lie, in my opinion, that it was a good joke, Motley gifts the team the spell Ghost. He wishes Martin happy hauntings, and the team guide him through the right-hand door. Where am I? You're in a square room with a, a tiled floor. There's an exit to your right in the wall, the only exit. Right. In the centre of the room, there's a table with some objects on it. The team have arrived in Golgolath's clue room. On the table, a half a grapefruit, which Martin mistakes for an orange, along with a key, a bar of gold, and a corked bottle. The grapefruit gets knapsacked and Golgolath appears. What else is there? Fearful flesh must turn and quail before Golgolath Flinch and pale. There's a guardian here, turn and face it. And the riddles are... Who were the soldiers who sailed in dragon ships? That's very good. I'm a voice actor, you know. I was in a Lego thing. <laughs> I was actually missing a tooth when I did my when I, when I audition. I did the pickle for the first few episodes. And I had a bit of a lisp. Mm. I, I was trying to recreate it when I did it for the, the one you were in uh, as well. I didn't, didn't quite get it, I think. <laughs> And the answer given is Vikings, which uh, is accepted as the truth. Dragon ships are actually thought to have originated in China more than 2,500 years ago. However, there is evidence that the Vikings also adorned their ships with dragon heads. Um, the largest known one is the ship of King Canute, the king who commanded the waters not to touch his feet. Yeah, I was wondering about this. I don't think I would have got this. Uh, I don't know what else I would have guessed, but the, the rest of the team was straight in there mm. uh, quite impressively. Um, yeah, maybe because I, I, I live in China. Uh, maybe I would have thought they're like dragon boats, whereas the Vikings are, are long boats. Yes. Uh, I would have called long ships, maybe. I was thinking, actually, as I was going through this, uh, there's, there's quite a few um, echoes in, in the file of freedom. Perhaps I just watched this episode when I was writing bits of it, like a few of the puzzles made a little bit uh, 
a little bit uh, inspired slash copied uh, and the, the pie incident, for example. Do you want to tell us a bit about the file of freedom? Well, thank you. If I, if I must. <laughs> so during the lockdown, Nightmare Live show um, was cancelled. So um, Traeger went on to um, Facebook and Twitch uh, and was uh, reading the little game books um, that, that came with the show, the little um, choose your own path adventures. And he sort of ran out because we were doing them. So it, it put the poll up um, and then say, do you want to go left or right? And, and which things shall we take? And I fancied my hand at it. So I wrote a new one, which went down fairly well. I'd never really written anything before. Uh, but just, you know, as a, as a fan of the show, uh, taking just the fun elements that, that I liked. And so he read it out and it, it was terrifying at first just to have something <laughs> like I'd read. I say a book, it's a, a PDF, um, but just to have everyone, everyone was very nice about it. But, you know, if there were mistakes in there, um, I, I'd feel awful. And there were a couple, actually. And then, weirdly, I, I changed it a bit from, from week to week um, because there was, um, I put in a little joke about, do you want to explore the alcove? And there's nothing in the alcove. Uh, and then Treyguard suggested maybe add something in there. So I, I changed the PDF from one week to the next. Mm. Uh, surprise everyone. And then this whole sort of alcove subquest um, came about. <laughs> Uh, in which there were more alcoves and there was that the alcove brotherhood and you could become the knight of the alcoves uh, it became a whole <laughs> niche joke. Um, and it became a way to make save points as well because if it took if it took us a week to go a, a level hmm. yeah, and then and you kept and you kept dying we wanted it to last but it was it was dragging on a little bit um so we, the alcoves became save points uh, and it worked fairly well and they finished about when when they, we needed them to, like when the, the last lockdown was finishing, the, the proper show came back. Uh, okay. But there were, yeah, there were little bits in it, like um, the, a, a pie you mustn't eat, um, for example, things that I definitely, um, well, obviously it's all copied from the show, but things that are perhaps inspired by season three in, in particular. I have written a short Christmas version as well, perhaps to play next Christmas for the people on the Discord. And the next riddle is... Who is the sailor who is doomed to sail forever? but never land. I have issues with this question. They answer the Ancient Mariner, which is an interesting answer. The Ancient Mariner is from the poem The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, which tells the story of a sailor which shoots an albatross causing disaster for both his ship and his crew. This is called out as falsehood, and the answer given by the war monster is the Flying Dutchman. My issue is that the Flying Dutchman is not a sailor. The Flying Dutchman is a legendary ghost ship that's said to be doomed to sail the seas forever. I think this is unfair. I don't think that they were right. I just think that the question was wrong. At that age, I wouldn't have known of any of those things. So I hope the rest of my team would have known this. I briefly thought watching the other day, having seen it you know, two or three times already, is it the Flying Dutchman? No, that's, that's a train. Uh, <laughs> and, then they, and then they just got in there before me. I guess it's the Flying Scotsman. Yeah, yeah, I think um, so. He is called a, a Dutch man. So it's kind of, with a bit of poetic license, he's kind of is a sailor, you know? I guess so. It could say any sailor on the Flying Dutchman. But then kind of reaching. Yeah, it's not hard to reject um, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner and accept the Dutchman, yeah. I think sometimes whether or not you get the riddles right is uh, dependent on what you learned in school that week. A lot of Greek mythology and, and um, Bible stuff, and um, they went with boats all the time here. Uh, yeah, I guess it's, I think, are you, are you smarter than a, a fifth grader? It's, it's often, have you learned the thing recently? Name the ship of heroes, the ship in which Jason sailed to find the golden fleece. Uh, it's the Argo. We all learned that in primary school. Yeah, I, I'm impressed they got Argo as well. They'd say Argus or like the Argonaut. They actually named the boat properly. I had to look it up. The boat maker is Argus. And it's called the Argo. Yes. And the uh, sailors are called the Argonauts. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't have been sure. Um, 
even now, I think I would have I would have mumbled it or I, I would have been close <laughs> enough. To, you know, the team has scored two. The wall monster tells them that their quest is for the chalice and that they may not prosper with gold. He also tells them that the first step is the tree. With that, Golgorach disappears. Martin takes the key and the bottle, leaving the gold as instructed. His teammates then guide him out. Okay, you're walking along a corridor, it seems, or the corridor's moving past you. There's lots of doorways, and there's bats flying along just under the roof. Warning, keep your head down, Martin. These tunnels are dwarf-made, and the ceilings aren't always as high as they could be. Martin, whatever you do, don't stop to rest until you're safely out of the tunnel. These tunnels coming to an end. Where am I? You're in a, a cavern in front of you, fire shooting up from the ground. And around the bend, in the middle of the path, there's a flashing skull. Um, ah, it seems that one of your predecessors has arrived before you and decided to stay. I should avoid him or her at all costs, if I was to things. It's the welcome return of the salamander room. Martin has emerged from the door on the left, meaning that he has to contend with both fire bursts. Not only that, but there's a skull haunting lurking menacingly at the bottom of the screen. Lurking around the apparent remains of a former Dungeoneer. Did you notice it's even got a little helmet justice there as well? I didn't, to be honest. That's a lovely touch. The team consider using the ghost spell, but Traylight advises them not to waste it. The skull begins to float up and down, so the team decide to risk it. They begin to carefully guide Martin across the first set of flames. Okay, careful now. We're near the fire. Another step. Okay, one, just a, a little tiny one now. No, a bit bigger. Yeah, OK. Come. Well, now, when we tell you to go, you've got to walk fast, OK? Right. Look out, team. Time slips setting in, and Martin's trapped by it. Ah, yes. And so are you. There you see, it's time for us to leave you. For all adventuring is trapped fast in limbo until you phase with us once more. But it won't be for long. For though the journey may pause, it never really ends. So what do you think of this episode then? I thought it's a good place to end. That's a very cool chamber to end on. Mm. Um, with uh, the fire and the, I don't know, it's a salamander. And the, that's a nice touch if, it, if it's an old dungeoneer. Uh, I mean, aficionados of the show may be able to work out like which dungeoneer it is. Although, check out <laughs> something about one of your predecessors has set up here. So maybe he died in a, a close by um, chamber and and then came in. Yeah, just kind of bore all his bones and the helmet of justice with him. <laughs> no one's actually died in this chamber yet, so I don't think it's anyone that we've seen. Well, there, there are meant to be many other um, quests uh, off camera, weren't there? So I was thinking, yeah, if, if he couldn't sense that he was you know knee deep in water earlier, then sometimes I thought with this uh, room or with, with fire traps generally, they could say, walk forward until you feel the intense heat <laughs> uh, and then stop there. When it dies down for a second, then go forward. Uh, and that would be helpful. Uh, but it's sort of a magic fire that you can't feel, and yet is presumably still dangerous. So I guess they were sort of just there. Or it might have dried him off from all the water he was standing in earlier. I think it's like the Matrix, you know, your brain makes it real. Even though it's a simulation, it will still harm you. Yes, I guess that's it. So if they could just convince him there's no fire there, if they, as, <laughs> as the dungeon is, as the guides, they could just tell him it's fine. And just mm. tell him there's nothing there. 
uh, and he would be immortal. Perhaps we've just cracked um, the dungeon. That's how you get past all the timing puzzles. I was just working on a Matrix parody recently, just um, the school I work at. We just thought it'd be fun um, to promote the science department. We made a Matrix parody and, and there's a colleague of mine who turns out to be an awesome video maker, just incredible skills. And so I, I, I sort of produced it and, and um, got the actors to do that. He turned up with lights and he's, he's very good at visual effects. And so you've got some of my colleagues, you know, jumping around and cracking the floor and like levitating. It's amazing. I'm going to show it in an assembly in a couple of weeks. Okay. And that's uh, the end of this episode of Nightmare. And so I guess that's the end of this episode of Temporal Discussion. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Nightmare Pod. If you want to support the podcast, we're Nightmare Pod on Patreon. And speaking of Patreon, here's a shout out to Keepers of the Book of Quests, Peter Pulsford. Yes. Yay. And David N. Rabbit. Advisors Benjamin Bloom. Peter Sidon, David Thompson, and our newest supporter, Stephen Whalen, and Dungeoneer Peter Corridge. We've got way too many Peters on the Patreon. It's really confusing. <laughs> Change your name. <laughs> it happens a lot. Yeah, as, as Keeper of the Book of Quest, that keeps me busy as well. I'm in a different time zone from the other Keepers, so yeah, when I'm, well, I, I can watch it sometimes and I sort of pass it over to him. You can support us on Patreon at Dungeoneer level or above to get your name mentioned on the podcast. Higher level perks also receive merchandise, have access to exclusive episodes, and if you pledge as a keeper a book of quests, you will we will even offer you the chance to be guests on the podcast. Peter, your new poster should be on its way to you now. So obviously because Oh you found you have you received it? Oh yes. A little bit creased. Uh oh. moment, I guess just the right the day, <laughs> yes. Oh, awesome. So I, I must put it under something to flatten it out. That's very nice. Thank you. Our website is nightmarepod.co.uk. And if you're looking for temporal discussion merchandise, including T-shirts, stickers, and other products, it's at nightmarepod.redbubble.com. You can email us at podcast at nightmarepod.co.uk. And just keep telling yourself, it's only a podcast. Isn't it? Official game book Nightmare Live The File of Freedom is now available for download in PDF format on our website at www.nightmarepod.co.uk.